Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I think the show needs to be as educational as it is entertaining. So do mm-hmm. please impart people with your wisdom. Tips for people who may be entered into virtual flip cup or beer pong tournaments in the near future. Any any advice yes. a seasoned pro can hand out to the listeners? I am. I've competed in two tournaments in the last two weeks alone. Uh, the circuit is getting busy. Uh, for beer pong, especially if you're playing virtually, I have my tip, which is to tell everybody that the only playing surface you have is your kitchen counter, which is not <laughs> long enough to be a regulation table. And therefore, it's very easy to hit the cups. That is my tip. <laughs> that's that's sound advice. Like, all, all I have is this is this end table. Uh, I can only set up exactly. the, the, the cups and then bounce it once. And that's pretty smart. I like that, th- that thought. Yeah. Thank C- you. Com- thank coming you. up on the show today, we've got uh, David Andrews, CEO and president of the American Hockey League, talking about the cancellation of the AHL season and what comes next. And Kevin Bieksa, the uh, oodles of personality, former defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks and a current podcaster. So a rival, Emily. Uh, will join us mm. to talk about uh, life and quarantine, uh, his thoughts on, on the uh, 2011 Canucks and many other topics as well. All that and more coming up in this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer and occasional Undertaker interviewer. I'm Emily Kaplan, and I'm still in isolation. Reporter. Or such. Whatever it is. Yep. Uh, The quarantine continues, uh, but some news trickling out of the NHL lately about where their focus is right now on restarting the season increasingly it appears not to be on playing the regular season which kind of makes sense when everybody who's not on a non-playoff team's like i don't really want to come back and play and also when the league's like hey quarantining a bunch of teams at four different arena sites is going to cost a lot of money maybe we don't spend it on the red wings to play 10 games that don't mean anything um so congratulations if that actually is what's happening and it does seem that way that the wind has shifted towards figuring out what the playoff format could be uh, in a season restart. And Emily, it does seem like the 24 team super wombo massive playoff tournament bracket could be the thing they're talking about. In which case, a very good possibility that both the Chicago Blackhawks, the New York Rangers, and all of their viewers at home could be part of the, uh, the festivities. Someone pointed that out to me the other day. Like, do you think it's a coincidence that one of the reasons they want to expand is two of their best markets are just on the cusp? And no, I do not think it's a total coincidence. Um, I do think that if the Chicago Blackhawks somehow won the Stanley Cup in 2020, that asterisk would be bold. Like, people would be like, what the <laughs> heck is going on? Um, but look, Gary Bettman reportedly had this town hall on Tuesday where he said, shutting down the 2019-20 season is something I'm not even contemplating. Like, they are going full steam ahead. And of course, that's what you have to do as an executive when you're expected to lose $1.2 billion. But um, he's listening to all interested parties here. And one person I think is interesting, though, and I've been doing a little digging into this relationship recently, is Dr. Bruce Farber, who's their infectious disease consultant. And the NHL declined the interview request for me and I think everybody else to have this guy speak. But he did do a radio interview with Bloomberg yesterday, uh, and or I think it was May 11th. And it was um, 
you know, more general speaking, it wasn't on behalf of his work with the NHL, but he did mention he was working with a league. And one of the things he was talking about was cutting down on travel and cutting down on scheduling back-to-backs, and that would be so important. His big thing is testing. There has to be widespread testing available, testing people two days apart, maximum three days apart. Like, we've got to have that down. Um, but that was really interesting to me because I really feel like that's where the NHL was shaping their policy um, or plans for the four hub cities came from, of, of limiting travel. And like you said, um, if they're reducing the regular season, that reduces the number of teams and the amount of travel they have to do and, and just reduces their footprint there. Yeah, I mean, it, it would definitely be sort of a self-contained playoff format. I, you know, I, I think there's a very good chance it may end up looking like what Mark Spector wrote about a few weeks ago, um, where you have these sort of mini tournaments at these hub sites then leading to something larger just to cut down on all the travel. Get your I, wife to drive you there at 5 a.m.? <laughs> I don't, I don't. Going back to the youth hockey days. Oh, absolutely, man. Pack up the station wagon with the bags. I don't think that it, it, the totality of his reporting is accurate where the Buffalo Sabres and the Anaheim Ducks would be invited to the festivities, but, um, that's neither here nor but there. But Sabres uh, do so well on TV. I know. I know they do. Um, the, so yeah, no, the regular season shift makes sense. Um, and, uh, like you said, it, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly what goes into the testing and, and things of that nature as well. Um, because the, the NHL has been pretty candid with the notion of we're going to have to test everybody involved and also make sure that wherever we go, we're not taking tests away from the communities in which we're playing these games, which I think is the very responsible thing because it would be a PR disaster if it looked like they were siphoning off different <laughs> uh, assets from the local authorities to uh, play uh, hockey games. Um, I'll say this about Bettman and his, uh, his proclamation. Um, on that uh, call with San Jose uh, business interests, I guess is who it was on that town hall call. He has been very adamant about the difference between considering cancellation of the regular season and considering cancellation of the season. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think he's been consistent about saying that they're not considering canceling the full season. I think they're, they're going to wait as long as they possibly can until the, to the point where it, as long as it doesn't impact 2020, 2021, they're going to play. And that could mean September um, as far mm-hmm. as we know. Uh, I will say that uh, when it comes to the playoff format, um, 2014 seems to be the play. Sidney Crosby on uh, TSN with James Duffy this week mentioned uh, maintaining the integrity of the of the tournament. And I think that's going to be paramount in whatever they decide is the notion of whatever we do with these additional teams is going to kind of be the, uh, y- y- you know, the, the, the garnish on the plate, let's say. To, to the main course. Because I, I still think at the end of the day, they want 16 teams, seven game series, let's go for their playoff tournament. Um, and then, you know, figure out the rest of it to, as far as like who gets to participate in that main tournament. And the last thing I'll mm-hmm. say to you is mm-hmm. about that asterisk. Cause I agree. People are going to look at the Stanley Cup. They already, already have players on the record. D- Drew Doughty saying that the Stanley Cup will be tainted. Uh, no matter who wins it. As a New Jersey Devils fan, and as Emily can see, I'm wearing my Christmas tree Devils hat right now. I remember 1995. I remember Rangers <laughs> fans like Emily saying that, you know, the cup was, was as a half a cup because they won it in a lockout season. I was so precocious mean- as a four year old. I was saying all those things then. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's in your DNA. The asterisk yeah. next to the cup. Uh-huh. And so I say to all you fans, I was talking to my friends in Vancouver this morning about this. If the Canucks somehow won the cup, like everybody would be like, oh, it's not a real cup. No, it's a real cup. Everybody has the same opportunity to win it. If you win it, 
Godspeed. You've won a real Stanley Cup. I will say that as a Devils fan, it does help if you win two more within the next 10 years <laughs> to make it feel better that you maybe won one that was a little bit hinky. But I will say this. Take pride in it. When they raise the cup in that gigantic empty building, uh, let it be known that it is actually the Stanley Cup and that your team actually did win it. And hang that banner with pride. All right. Well, to wrap up this segment, a couple uh, other news and notes. The draft, you know, as we said last week, there was all this momentum going into last Monday's Board of Governors call where the NHL is like, let's do this early June draft. And then they got some pushback on the call. And now there's not so much urgency anymore. The NHL's like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, so we're still in a little bit of a holding pattern there. And But really what the NHL is looking for right now is phase two of their return to play program. And that would include players getting to go in small groups to training facilities. The NBA just started doing this last week. Um, Cleveland and I believe Portland were the first two teams to open. And what's interesting is the NHL saying, like, we still want to do this. And we're aiming for, like, mid to late May. At this point, it's late May. Um, <laughs> but they wanted an acceptable mass, uh, whatever that might be, of teams that are able to do it for competitive balance reasons. So they didn't want to just open up to um, – markets right away and say like, all right, everyone else can figure it out whenever their local governments allow it. Uh, they wanted to get to a point where they felt comfortable that more teams than not could do that. So we'll keep an eye on all the governmental restrictions in the next couple of weeks, what lifts when the NHL decides they feel comfortable uh, letting guys in. Indeed. Um, all right. And then lastly, of course, the other news this week was that the American Hockey League canceled its season. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got Dave Andrews, the uh, outgoing president uh, of that league, to tell us when what went into that decision and tell us what the heck this league's going to look like in 2021. All right, joining us now is Dave Andrews, the president and CEO for the time being of the American Hockey League. You're in the last run, man. It's uh, probably not the way you wanted to go out, but uh, but thanks for joining me and Emily today. Um, timeline on the cancellation of the AHL season. What was the thing that brought the league to the, the decision that they made on Monday or pretty much last week? to uh, end the season now? Well, I I think, you know, we we suspended our season on March 12th, same day as the National Hockey League, and the the day after the NBA shut down. And uh, I I think by the time we got to about March 16th and and, uh, had our players, you know, arranged for our players to to leave leave their cities and teams and, and get home, I think by then we had a pretty good idea that we were unlikely to return to play. Um, this season in the American Hockey League, but we wanted to keep the option open because uh, things were moving quickly and it was unclear, uh, you know, how, what things would look like over the over a period of time. So there was really no reason for us to uh, to shut down. It, it made no great difference, and so we kept the option open until until last week. But I would say uh, two weeks ago, uh, Greg, we. We really, excuse me, really made a determination that we needed to focus our energies on 2021 as a, as a league in terms of starting to develop contingency plans and focus on, on that, uh, which, which meant we really needed to help our teams also, you know, get closure and, and, uh, and deal with the things they needed to deal with with their season ticket holders and sponsors and fans. Uh, so, uh, that really kind of, we had a board vote on Friday, uh, Friday evening and it was a unanimous vote to, uh, uh, to cancel the remainder of the season in the playoffs. But uh, I think almost anyone in hockey would have uh, understood that it was unlikely we were, we were going to come back. And I don't think anyone was surprised at the announcement. But it's still a tough day. Yeah. 
Well, I know that players receive their final two paychecks, and my understanding is that's not necessarily a guarantee given some of the language in their contract. Can you walk me through a little bit behind the scenes of what that decision was like to make sure these players were paid? Well, I have to give all of the credit to the National Hockey League and Bill Daly and, and Gary Bettman because they were the ones that made the determination that players would be paid through to the end of their season. And uh, in conversation with Bill, uh, he agreed that the players in the American Hockey League should be treated the same way. Um, you know, okay. most of our players are on NHL contracts. Um, some of our players are on AHL contracts, but they're essentially paid through the NHL club. And uh, in both of those contracts, the NHL and AHL contract, there is clear language that if if a season is uh, you know is suspended or terminated, that uh, you know the pay stops. But um, I give full credit to the National Hockey League and their owners for for taking care of our players through the end of the season. And our season actually uh, runs a week longer than the NHL, so uh, our players were taken care of and. Uh, and I think they deserve to be taken care of. So I really appreciate the help we got from the NHL there. Yeah, the players have been out of my mind a lot because um, I, I, I talked to a couple of them this week. And the uncertainty on top of uncertainty on top of uncertainty for them is, is, <laughs> is I think, leading to a lot of frustration. They don't know when the next AHL season is going to start. Um, and they certainly don't know whether their services will be needed this summer, uh, depending on how many black aces NHL teams can carry during a restart because, I mean, we're talking about potential quarantining of teams, right? So you got to probably limit those rosters at some point. Uh, how, how, in your conversations, like how, how tough do you, has this been on players um, who, who a lot of them probably, you know, don't have a, a ton of coin on hand, uh, uh, you know, in, in their lives compared to their NHL brethren? I think it's been really hard on players, although I have not had a lot of direct interaction I, i've had some uh, i i speak regularly with uh, larry landon the executive director of our players association and um I, I think the ahl players have been by and large very positive and and uh and good for him to work with uh, as they get together and talk about the future uh, i think it's been tougher with the echl players who were who were let go without pay and of course make less money to start with but uh, i think the ahl players have by and large been very positive and when i i see uh uh, on social media, a lot of them are on there and have things to say. And I, I think they're trying to do good things in their communities. They're trying to be helpful and, and uh, trying to be positive and optimistic about their future. But, you know, it's the same for the players as it is for, for the people that work for our teams. We have a lot of young people who are, you know, begin their careers in, in sport management with, with teams around the American Hockey League. And a lot of those, a lot of those young people have been, uh, you know, laid off temporarily for load and, and, and they don't know, and, you know, a lot of us don't know what the future holds. So the uncertainty that we all face and whether it's, you know, whether it's the American Hockey League or whether it's, you know, you and Emily, I mean, it's difficult. This is a very difficult time, uh, for individuals, for families, for businesses. And, uh, you know, it's a leadership test, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a leadership test for everyone. And, um, you know, we just have to try and, Try and focus on doing the best we can for the people that depend on us, and uh, and certainly that's been a very busy task for the last nine weeks working from the kitchen table to do it. Well, we know that the AHL is a gate-driven league, and the livelihood is you know your markets and your relationships with the fans in those markets, and fans being in the arenas. So I'm curious, you know, because you don't have the TV revenue the NHL has, can you sustain a whole season next year if there are no fans in the arenas? 
I don't think we could with 31 teams. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different uh, ways in which the American Hockey League could play. Um, but we are a gate-driven league. We have uh, very little in the way of rights fee revenue for television. We have uh, you know, fairly decent streaming revenue, but not enough to sustain the league or any of our teams. Um, our, our corporate partnership revenue is all linked to, uh, you know, to people in the seats and eyeballs. So, uh, you know, without being being able to put fans in the seats, it uh, certainly would be a a much different looking league than than uh, than what it was in 1920 up until March 12th. But having said that, you know, we we are building a schedule right now for 2021, beginning in October and ending in April. Uh, the, the you know the games are being put on the board, um, and we are also building models, uh, contingency plan models for starting in November, starting in December, starting in January. And, uh, you know, those obviously have a, a different number of games in the season. They have uh, potentially different playoff formats. And, uh, you know, we want to be out ahead of it, stay out ahead of it, get as much information as we can from our teams and from our buildings and <clears throat> understand uh, where the public health authorities stand on some of these issues going forward so, so that we're prepared when the opportunity does arise for us to, to fully compete, that we're ready to do that. And then at the same time that we're, we're, you know, we're open and kind of ready to change the paradigm a little bit uh, to take care of teams that need, uh, uh, you know, some different approach from a player development point of view or, or from a financial point of view. So there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of uncertainty. And, and uh, the important thing, I think, from a, a leadership point of view is, is you can't be paralyzed by the uncertainty. I mean, you, you have to move forward and you have to you have to make contingency plans and you have to give comfort to your uh, the people that you you work for and work with that that you've got your hands on the wheel, so you know that's what we're doing. And, and our staff have worked very hard, and uh, they played an important role in with our teams in sort of information sharing, uh, best practices, how teams are dealing with. This is you know there's no playbook for this for our teams or for us, and but we've all really kind of communicated and over communicated to make sure we were uh, doing the best we could. Um, I'm rambling here. The one thing I do want to make sure I mention is in terms of people pulling together, like Bill Daly has played a mm. major role for obviously for the NHL, but also his, his willingness to work with me uh, directly and to help us uh, chart our course has been uh, beyond the call of duty. So I, I, you know, he, he and the NHL have played a big role for us. That's great. You, since you brought it up, I mean, is, is there, a chance that the AHL opens up with less than 31 teams next season? I would say there's a chance of, you know, anything can happen. There is so much uncertainty. So, but we're not, we're hoping that isn't the case. I mean, we have a a very strong league in terms of our ownership, both, you know, we have 19 NHL owned teams and 12 independently owned teams. And the independently owned teams are, are, are in very good financial condition, even after, uh, what happened in nineteen, you know, in this nineteen twenty season? Um, but if you know, if, if their businesses aren't viable, I mean, if you have to play in front of an empty building for six months, uh, some of those teams will likely choose not to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't believe that that's necessarily going to be the case. Uh, for me, we're, we're in, you know, we're in the middle of May here, and it, it seems to me that uh, it's a long time before we get to a point where we won't be able to play mm-hmm. with fans in the buildings. Like, because, you know, if we can play in, if we can play in November, we can play in December, we can play in January with people in the buildings, we're going to play. Right. And I was going to ask you about, about that modeling for the schedule. Um, 
I was talking to a couple of the, of the teams this week, and, and they seem to think that there is a chance, given what we know about the NHL's calendar, that you guys could open before they do, um, insofar as the 2020-21 season. Do you see a scenario in which the AHL is doing business while the NHL is in its offseason and there's a chance you might have some NHL players participating in the AHL to start next season? Uh, I would say the answer is yes to the first part of the question, Greg, and, and probably no to the second part. I, I can't imagine that uh, as the NHL, if the NHL were to play late into the fall, as you you know, kind of into September or, or some such scenario, I can't imagine that they would send players down to the American League while they were taking their break before the start of the next season. I, I, I wouldn't see that as being very likely, but that's not inside information. It's just not the way they usually do business as, as general managers. Um, I think there is a, a, you know, a possibility. I wouldn't say a likelihood, but if, if we were allowed to get back into all of our buildings by the public health authorities with some, you know, some mass gathering restrictions that they could work for us and we could play in October and the NHL had made the determination that they wouldn't start their season until December I think most NHL teams would want their their American Hockey League players playing, even though the NHL hadn't restarted yet. Uh, because let, let's face it, they're going to be off. They will have been off since uh, the middle of March, and uh, we're all about player development. And they would want their players playing. I think. Now we haven't asked those questions, but uh, my sense would be yes. We would we would start before the NHL if we could, if they were just on a break because they had just finished. Dave, last one from me. You know, you're retiring and we're so happy for you, but you've been a hockey man your entire life and this must be just a really crazy time to transition out. And I'm just curious, have you put any thought into or had any conversations about how hockey might look different going forward after this? Like, is this the end of the handshake line? Do we ban spitting? Are you putting up plastic stanchions in the locker room or moving lockers more than six feet apart? Do you think any of that's possible? I I think it's, probably likely in the in the near term emily uh i think it's going to look a lot different uh as you know our office spaces are going to look different and restaurants are going to look different and i mean i think that's likely my my hope is that you know if we if we move out a year year and a half two years that we'll be back to kind of what we think of as normal relative to how hockey teams operate and people shake hands and drink out of the cup and I'm hoping that that's what it gets back to. Uh, I'm sure we're all hoping that. Um, and I think, I think, it, I think we will get back to that at some point. It's probably not going to be in, uh, you know, in the, in the 2021 season. I think we're all going to have to be pretty careful. Well, Dave, we so appreciate your time, and I know you've done some incredible things over the years, making the AHL a world-class league. So, a pat on your back. You're also a, you know, a former lecturer at Springfield College, the great alma mater of our producer Ryan and my mom Naomi. So, thank you for your service there, and uh, we appreciate yeah. you. We hope to see you at a ring sometime soon. Great, thank you, Emily. Thanks, Greg. All right, thanks, Dave Andrews, for telling us all about the American Hockey League. It's it's pretty clear they're not coming back until fans can come back. There's like there's no reason for them to. It's like I, th- I think the number that right. the Ottawa Sun put out was like 85 percent of their revenue comes from gate. So just no no business coming back if you can't do business with fans. It seems like. Heck, even if it was 50 percent of their revenue came from gate, I don't think that's sustainable for them. Yeah, to yeah, have for no sure. fans. Exactly. Um, since we did the last podcast, the Brendan Leipzig uh, situation happened. Um, 
he was uh, text. Uh, uh, sorry, text. Let me not be old here. Uh, an in- Instagram <laughs> chat with friends, including another uh, player for the uh, in the Florida Panthers system, and including his own brother who played university hockey, um, was leaked. Uh, the uh, chat involved misogynistic and sexist comments made about women's photos, including the uh, wife of uh, it was it was Tanner Pearson, right, of the uh, Vancouver Canucks, and then uh, the girlfriend of, of of Connor McDavid. Not not exactly the target you want to you want to put on somebody when you insult the uh, girlfriend of the, the most famous hockey player in the world. Um, so this didn't go over very well, and the Capitals were very quick out of the gate. Kudos to them with a uh, message of condemnation. Uh, the NHL followed suit, and then, uh, wouldn't you know it, very quickly, the Capitals released this uh, vital uh, fourth liner and frequent scratch from their lineup. And I'm not trying to be flipped, by the way. I, I think the people that are saying, well, you wouldn't have done this for Ovechkin, uh, are kind of misguided. Like... There's a hell of a lot more Brendan Leipzigs in this league than there are Alex Ovechkins. And there's a lot more Brendan Leipzigs in this league down the AHL and other levels than there are Alex Ovechkins. And the idea that they took this sort of swift action against a member of the rank and file, I think, is really important and, and sends the message that if you embarrass us and if you drive a wedge between potentially our organization and the women that come to our games... Um, that's that's not going to fly, and I and I thought that it was um, impressive they acted the way they did and didn't dilly dally about it. See, I do agree with you, and I do want to compliment the Washington Capitals and the NHL, which came out with a pretty strong statement right away. Um, they understood that even though he technically didn't violate, um, you know, any league rules, like this is wildly inappropriate, and this is not the guy you want representing your franchise, your league, hockey players in general. That said. Even if it's Carl Hagelin, even if it's Lars Eller, I don't know if the Washington Capitals are releasing him right away. If it wasn't in the middle of a global pandemic, I don't think they're releasing him right away. This is literally their last forward. He's (laughs) a totally replaceable guy that is on a veteran minimum contract that they would have to qualify next year because he's a restricted free agent. It's really easy to part ways with him when you don't even know if hockey is going to be played anytime soon. I agree with you to a point. I mean, I do think that in 2020, that in 2020, we're at a point now where comments that are clearly bad for your team's, um, demographic reach and bad for business are, are costing players their coaches, um, for example. And that's not, I mean, Coaches may be more disposable than players, but it's still a, a major change that I think a shift that we've seen. And granted, the Bill Peters thing was was racial stuff, and and I feel like as as twisted and toxic as it is, that might be a, a third rail compared to the comments that that people make about women. Um, but I do think the opinion shifting. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree. I mean, like, look, they're not going to cut Kuznetsov for anything, obviously. <laughs> He's a very so good player. So he scores very big this. goals. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and and, but I mean, they also didn't have to get rid of Leipzig if they didn't want to. I mean, they they just didn't. They could have kept them around. They could have just said, you know, we'll right. discipline him internally and blah blah blah. But they they made the call, and and I and I think that it's commendable that they would make the call. Um, I'll say this. Yeah. I, you know, we can talk about the Capitals' reaction all you want, but I think this guy is now toxic. Like you're starting to hear talk like he's never going to play in the NHL again. 
Yeah. No, I mean, like, take take your bag and pack it for Midigorich or wherever the hell in uh, Russia. I mean, that's going to be the, the path back for him, like it is for Peters, like it is for any of these exiles. You know, time was when the natural predators were the island of misfit toys, where all the players that used to have problems would go there and fix their reputations. Now it's got to be the KHL. So go figure. Uh, the other uh, uh, lamentable – there's been a lot of lamentable – Toxic hockey culture stuff this week, to be quite candid with you. Um, but the other one that we wanted to mention was the Brett Hull uh, comments to Sportsnet's Hockey Central last Friday uh, about Leipzig and about uh, the way things are. Um, he said, quote, we did the same things, we said the same things, but there was no way to get caught. We can uh, go out after games, we can go to strip clubs, we can go to bars, we could do whatever we wanted, and it would all be hearsay. There's no hearsay anymore. It'll be on an iPhone. And then he went on to a lament about how teams can't bond anymore. It's so sad, but it's the nature of the game. Do you want to go out with everyone's cell phone out, or do you want to make uh, sure you don't get in trouble, saying that that's the reason that players stay home in their hotel rooms and play Xbox all night instead of going to the strip club? Now, it's a couple of things to unpack here. First off, he's absolutely right. It's a very pervasive culture, and that you, you know, if you see a famous athlete, it's like seeing a a unicorn in the forest and you take your your camera out and film them and, and their uh-huh. expectation of privacy is completely gone versus where it might have been in the 1980s and 1990s. That's very true. Um, I think it's really kind of underrating how guys in their 20s bond these days to say <laughs> that like you can't bond as a team if you're all sitting around playing Mario Kart because that's kind of exactly what the Capitals did during the Stanley Cup run. Um, and But overall, the biggest problem here is the context of this discourse, which is that the fun is gone. Uh, and the fun in, in this case was sexist and misogynist and homophobic comments. And, uh, and now players have to answer for that. And, uh, yeah, that's fun. You should, that should be ruined. And, uh, and that's fun that, that shouldn't exist. Um, because it's more fun for everybody else. If your fun isn't fun anymore. Isn't that a crazy equation to work out in your head? That there might be more people having fun with hockey if they know that behind their backs, other guys that are in the league aren't having fun at their expense. What a crazy concept to feel welcome in this dumb sport. Isn't that crazy, Emily? It's quite crazy. It's a lot of fun to track. Um, yeah, no, I just have to say, I don't know if this is the hill personally I would die on. Um, Brett Hill will, Brett Hill will die on this hill, but like, it's not the comments that were wrong. It's that they were leaked. Like, that's what's wrong with it. Who's to say? Um, but another thing is it's not necessarily like Brendan Lysics was bonding with his teammates over these. Like, it was a bunch <laughs> of his buddies and his brother from back home. And they were actually making fun of his teammates, calling them losers because they were doing a podcast that appears on the Washington Capitals website, a.k.a. doing what their ownership and management asked of them. So um, I'm not necessarily sure this all tracks. I think Brett Hall just wants to have a bone to pick about, you know, Fortnite becoming <clears throat> the new strip club. And that's yeah. just not cool. Yeah, I mean, how are teammates supposed to bond if they can't fat shame an opponent's pregnant wife? I mean, honestly, like it's really, it's really, I can't wrap my brain around how you might be able to bond as teammates. Matt wants to know who are your daughter's favorite NWHL players and what does she like most about the league? Well, my daughter Vivian, by the way, turns 10 today. So happy birthday to Vivian. Oh, she's a Taurus. That means she's stubborn like me. Why is she? Why is she? Um... (laughs) So her favorite NWHL player is Madison Packer um, because the first mm. game that she went to f- to watch the Riveters 
uh, Madison uh, at, at the end of the game Balled came close. Yeah, came oh. close to getting to a fight <laughs> with somebody oh. on the ice. So she so, really balled out. Yeah. So Vivian, uh, my daughter, um, is is a, is a chip off the old block in the sense that the thing she yeah. gravitated to as a young fan was a, a potential fight. Um, so uh, that's her favorite player. And what she missed most about the league, just you know, going to those games and and being around, uh, you know, people she can identify with and. And, and uh, watching you know, hockey, watching hockey, wearing her Riveters gear, like definitely misses that aspect of life. Um, the other thing that we should mention, though, in conjunction with this uh, question is the NWHL story that dropped on the Victory Press this week. Got a lot of attention. Um, the conditions that NWHL players had gone through through the nascent early years in that league from sharing locker rooms with boys youth teams to uh, in the most stark example, urinating in buckets uh, near the, uh, the rink because there were no bathroom facilities. You read that story and what'd you think of it in, in someone who's covered the NWHL pretty extensively? Yeah. Um, you know, those are stories that have been circled around and passed around for some time. Um, it's true. There were some really unprofessional things about that league over the years as it figured out its way and the growing pain. I will say, I do think they have addressed a lot of those things. Um, no, it's not going to always be easy to get their players proper locker room space, especially at arenas that have to juggle so many other things and they're not really paying them really huge rights to, you know, claim those spaces. That said, the peeing in the trash can, things like that, like that's really difficult to read and you understand why so many of these players decided to join the PHWPA and say, we're not going back to this league until we have something that we feel comfortable that is professional. Indeed, indeed. All right, speaking of professional, let's bring on a real pro, Kevin Bieksa. All right, joining us now on the line, classic NHL player, former uh, defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, Kevin Bieksa. He is now doing work with Sportsnet. He, of course, has a podcast, because everybody has a podcast, but this one's a good one. It's the Kez and Juice podcast with uh, with with Ryan Kessler, and he joins us now. How, how's life in, uh, in quarantine, buddy? You, you doing okay? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's going a little bit longer than we all probably anticipated originally, but, you know, it, things are slowly opening up down here in California. The golf courses are opening slowly. Um, I mean, some of the stores and shops and cafes and bakeries are all slowly opening up, but we're pretty fortunate down here that we've had good weather for the last two months, so we've been outside a lot, a lot of bike rides and walks and runs and, and enjoying the outdoors, so it, it could be worse for us. I'm sure you've thought about this a bunch of times, but if you were currently playing, what would your mindset be right now? And do you think that mindset would be different if your team was in very good playoff positioning or a team was outside the playoff picture? If if I was still playing, my mindset would be uh, I would be working out really hard every day just so when things did possibly start up, I had the edge on everybody. That would be my <laughs> mindset for sure. So I think I'd have... A lot of anxiety, not anxiety, but I, I definitely would, would be getting up every day. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even playing and I'm still getting up every day and eating the right things and exercising. I got nothing to exercise for, but I still do it. So I can imagine like some of the guys that I've talked to, uh, in the NHL right now, actually, I'd say most of the guys that I've kept in contact with aren't really doing a whole lot. And a lot of guys went back to their hometowns and home countries and didn't even bring their hockey gear. So um, I think a lot of guys have already written off the season, to tell you the truth. Um, 
but there, there's probably some guys that have been skating and training, hoping that something is going to start up. But I, I, I just don't know. It's, it's, it's such an unprecedented time, and there's you know people are approaching it different ways. That's why I think it's hilarious that like when they talk about opening up the training facilities, they've talked about we need to have a level playing field. We need to have everybody kind of doing the same thing, no matter what the restrictions are. Which means that like some of them might not be able to skate. And I'm just thinking to myself. These boys are going to be hitting the ice at 2 a.m., right? Like, they're, they're, they're going to find a way to skate <laughs> if they have a chance to skate, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. If you start to open things up, there, there's enough private rinks around. Like, we have a couple of rinks in California that just opened. They're private ownership, and they're, you know, they're complying. I think they're complying with the protocol. So it's, it's very strict. Like, the kids are showing up already dressed, and there's no parents allowed in the stands and dress rooms and all that. So there is, there is slowly becoming more and more ice available. I just, I just don't know. Like, I, I just feel like there's too many obstacles, too many big obstacles to overcome to to resume this season. And with the HIL canceling their season yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before? I know the owners want to recapture some of the lost revenue. I just, I just don't understand how you're gonna you're gonna come up with a solution that the players are gonna agree to and that's gonna be good enough, you know, for people to. to well, I guess people will tune in for anything, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I see too many obstacles. All right, I'm totally switching gears here. Uh, I was did what journalists should not do, and I like saw a headline and I skimmed the story, and I'm like, eh, I'll just you know ask about that in person. But I saw something that you were talking about, Michael Bublé, who was a famous, famous uh, Vancouver Canucks fan, came to practice one day and just like ate <laughs> and went headfirst into the board. Sorry, Ryan, you're gonna have to censor me again. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, well, I, I don't think I explained it as eating. Sh- I think uh, he, uh, he <laughs> see exactly. He, I didn't read it. So we we knew we all knew that he was a big fan, and he lived in the same neighborhood that I used to live in in Yaletown. And we, we'd see him around a little bit, but he was always kind of like I don't think I realized how big of a fan he was because he was kind of standoffish and and shy. And now that you hear him talk, it's he was such a big fan. He was almost intimidated to come up and say hi to us, which I think is ridiculous because this guy's one of the biggest singers in the world. And we used to right. go to his concerts and. He would give us shout-outs in the stands and give us all this attention. And, and anyways, super unbelievable guy. But eventually, somehow, we figure out how to get him to practice. He comes with his grandfather. He suits up. And the way I remember the story isn't exactly how it happened because I ended up watching the video the other day of the replay of it. They have it on Canucks TV still. But he went on a breakaway, which is what I remember. And I thought he tried to deke Longo, but he, he shot the puck and he actually hit the post. And then he toe-picked and he went headfirst into the boards. And it got up, and his helmet was sideways, and it was it was just such a funny, <laughs> funny moment. And, and it, you know, we we'd have like it was such a light. Like, it was a hard practice, I remember, and there was a little bit of pressure around the team at that time. And I remember seeing that afterwards; it was just unbelievable. Everybody was laughing, he was laughing, he was super humble about the whole situation, saying I embarrassed myself. And but it was Aww. just great to have him come and, and, and skate. But then I had him uh, had a charity event during the last walkout, and uh, he came. And he was a part of it, but I, I, I convinced him to play. I, I, I called him. I gave him every every reason in the books. I said I put him on the line with the Sedins. All he had to do was stand in front of the net and get a tap in. Like, girls did <laughs> eight years. And he was just too nervous. Like, no, no, I just, I'm out of my league. I just know when I'm out of my league, I'm too nervous. I go, how are you nervous? Like, you sing in front of millions and billions of people all over the world, and you're nervous to play a UBC in a charity game with uh, the two best players in the world on your line. <laughs> but he, he didn't play, but he came and he matched the donation, which was awesome. That's hilarious. Um, I wanted I wanted to uh, trip uh, dip back into memory lane as well. So 
the uh, Boston Bruins recently had their big reunion special on Zoom for the 2011 Cup. And uh, <clears throat> I've always told people that from a hockey perspective, I don't know if that's the best final. But from a drama soap opera perspective, probably the best final I've ever covered. Like every single day, every single game was a new thing to concern yourself with and, and write about. Um, with some distance, have you been able to appreciate the magnitude of that final, or is it still a, a, a pretty nasty wound for you, for you as a Canuck? No, it's a bit of both. Like I looking back, you appreciate how how good of a season we had and, and how far we came. And when we started that finals, we were a beat up group. We uh, we had seven grueling games against Chicago, where you're traveling three time zones. We had six grueling games against Nashville, where you're traveling three time zones, and then we had a really grueling series against San Jose. Even though it was only five games, they were a big, strong, physical team. A lot of hits back and forth, a couple fights. So we were we were a battered bunch we got to Boston, who we didn't really have much of a rivalry with at the time because you didn't play teams in the East as much back then. You didn't, it wasn't like today where you had a home-and-home home with everyone. There's teams that you wouldn't see for like two, three years, right? So not much of a rivalry, but we knew they were going to be super physical. And the first two games in Vancouver, I remember, went really well for us, and we, we were able to match it. And then in Boston, you're right, they just uh, took it to a whole new level and beat the shit out of us. I don't know if you want to censor that or not, but uh, there, there's certainly a lot of back and forth in the series. And looking back now, like all the, I was pretty focused on trying to win, but there was like the finger biting and there was like the diving and there was like all these other sideshows going on and Marshawn and Lapierre, Lapierre and Burroughs and all this stuff was going on. And, and uh, yeah, like I'm sure it was entertaining from a fan's perspective. You mentioned the Sedins earlier, and I'm just so obsessed with them. Like, I find them fascinating. Can you share your favorite story about playing with them or what they're like behind the scenes? What they're like behind the scenes? Uh, you know what? They're, they're pretty uneventful behind the scenes. Like, they are what they look like. They're just the two nicest guys. Like, they're throughout the course of your career, you play with these guys so much. And with your teammates, you're with them every single day, right? Like, every day. You're with them in the morning, first thing. You're... After skates, you're like you're hanging out around the dressing room. You're traveling with them on the road. You're having dinners with them. At some point, you get sick of your teammates, no matter who they are. These two guys are you. You never get sick of them, and you never get annoyed with them because they're just so nice and easygoing. Like there, there's times when you're traveling on the bus and you got a, like a long bus ride, and guys are bitching and complaining, and these guys would never complain about anything. So they're like they were they're just so fun to be around, and and it was always positive. It was always fun and I mean, uh, I can't, I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head any good stories I had, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of good stories. We used to go, um, cross country skiing in the, in the mountains there in Vancouver while we were uh, training kind of at the end of the summer. And we'd have some, some good races up there where we'd, we'd ski around this one circuit and then we'd go into this Swedish hut and have some like hot chocolate and coffee or whatever. Um, <laughs> so pure. You know, th- th- those got, those got pretty competitive. Well, they, Hey, they were obviously they're they're known for their kind of endurance, right? Those longer races are what mm-hmm. they're known for. So I would I would try to like add some full contact into it to kind of slow them down a little bit. But uh, <laughs> we, we we had a lot of fun over the years and a lot of a lot of competition and and they're awesome guys. Yeah, that's a good reason. That's two good people to be obsessed with. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. And thanks for not bursting my bubble and saying they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you had, I mean, for those who haven't seen it, Kevin had a, a god level uh, roast of the Sedines at their uh, their member retirement ceremony this year. It was just one of my favorite things of the entire season. Uh, 
last thing I wanted to ask you is about TikTok. So my, my daughter is on TikTok. She's obsessed with it. Uh, you seem as though you've been drafted into that world as well. Uh, there's one where you're, you're riding a broom like Harry Potter. Very impressive. What has been, yeah. what is, what has been your TikTok adventures, uh, so far as, as a member of that community? Well, I've kind of been bullied into it a little bit by my wife and my daughter. It started <laughs> off where my daughter would do this all the time. And, and I liked it because, you know, she's, she's running around the house. She's doing all these dances. It's really, it's active, right? She's like breaking a sweat, doing it. She's putting all this effort into thinking about new creative ideas. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then next thing you know, I get involved in one of them. She's like, oh, dad, I want to do a TikTok. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do one with you. And then next thing you know, like that one does pretty good. And, Telus ended up showing it on one of their uh, commercials, and then now she's every day. She's like, "Okay, Dad, what time are we doing our TikTok?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know." And then it's like, "Oh, you don't love me anymore." And it's just the peer pressure to do TikToks <laughs> with her every day. So then, like, I did a couple on my own account by myself, and she didn't like that. So now, like, I can't even do them on my own account. I have to wait and do them on her account. But she's the kind of person where, like, we're doing a TikTok together, and she'll like go and angle the phone. So it's like looking at all of her and like only half of my body. So she just wants <laughs> me to incredible. basically be in the background for her. She wants the full spotlight, but it, you know what? It's an unbelievable thing to do with her because to hear her laugh and giggle when I try to dance or do a da- or do some sort of rap is is priceless. That's why I do it. I do it because she has so much fun and you know I'm not I'm not the best dancer. I do stupid stuff and she laughs at it and it's it's so fun to do with her. It seems like some of the boys have adopted it, though. I mean, it's like Brendan Dillon, uh, Brendan Gallagher. Like, it, it, it seems like it's an outlet for some NHL players these days. Yeah, it's just something fun and silly to do. And there's different things you can do. You can do the dances. You can do the uh, the voiceovers. There's there's a lot of different things you can do. It, I think the quarantine has a lot to do with it because guys have so <laughs> much time on their hands, and you find yourself just flipping through it. And it gets addicting and. But I, I think it'll I think it'll slow down a little bit. I think it's kind of geared towards the younger generation. I think it'll slow down once the quarantine's lifted. But it's fun for now. All right, Kevin, we'll leave you this. I asked the same question to Joel Ward the other day. You've played in the league for a long Wardo. time. What? Yeah, he was awesome. He's he's living his best yeah. life right now. But uh, yeah, what yeah. is your former teammate who you think is going to be the best coach? Who's a former teammate who you think will be the best GM? And who's a former teammate who you think will be most successful in something that has nothing to do with hockey in their second career? Ooh. I'm interested to say who Wardo said. What the, it's the San Jose and, and Washington teams he's played on. He said, but, uh, he said so Thornton the, was going to be the most successful outside of hockey. He said that guy yeah. always has a bunch of ideas. Because he's the richest guy? That's, that's a real stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can put some seed money in yourself. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, so what's the first one? First one is what? Uh, the best coach. Well, Alex Burroughs is coaching the AHL right now. Uh, he's mm-hmm. running the power play for Laval. Uh, I think he wants to progress. I think Manny Mahaltra, though, would be a really good. Ooh. If you're talking about head coach, I think Manny would be a really good head coach. He's got kind of that. That he, he balances the, the you know the hockey knowledge with being able to interact with players and communicate. He's he's captain serious all the time. He's got like the face and the look for an NHL coach. I don't know if he wants to do it. I don't think he does, but okay. he would be a really good head coach. Great answer. All right, GM. GM. I was with him last night. Uh, I don't know if he wants to do it either, but Ryan Getzloff. 
He's a guy. He's just uh, he's got the look for it. He sit, he'll sit back with a stogie in his mouth and just make decisions <laughs> and just delegate. That's what he does best. Yeah. He delegates. It's whoever you aesthetically do this, looks you do like that. a GM. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Go grab go grab me that guy. Go grab me this guy. He sits back with a stogie on the golf course and just oversees. Oh, it's great. He's got he's got that Lex Luthor comportment to him. I think that's a real exactly. that's a real good point. Yeah, I like that. All right, yeah. who's gonna give you really successful in something that has nothing to do with hockey? Well. Not Cash because he lives in Michigan. Um, <laughs> no, no commerce in Michigan. Someone that's going to be really successful. I'm going to say um, I'm going to say Andrew Cogliano. I just think he's a really hmm. crafty guy, and he's going to find a way to to have a pretty impactful post career. I don't know what it's going to be in, but I feel like he's just a successful guy, and he's got a good attitude that's contagious. Yeah, and he'll never take a vacation, obviously, would be the other thing, too. <laughs> yeah, he'll work hard. He'll be, like, massaging his legs every day. Oh, my legs feel... He's, he's the funniest guy to go for a dinner with on the road because he's, he's, like, looking at his watch the whole time because his body is so regimented. He had to be in his room at a certain time to stretch, and you're looking at him as dinner goes goes longer and longer. He's, like, massaging his own legs under the table. He's like, oh, how your legs feel? Mine are tight right now. I'm like... Shut up, Cogs. Like, just relax, all right? Like, you're like, finish your wine. Yeah. You play, yeah, you played 900 games in a row. Like, take a breather. <laughs> he was a fun, he was a fun guy to play with. That's awesome. Oh, good catching up with you, Kevin. So, you got, you got the podcast going on. You still doing stuff with Sportsnet? Well, yeah, there's no NHL right now. So, that's, that's all on hold. But I, yeah, I plan on, uh, maybe having a little bit bigger role next year with Sportsnet, just trying to figure out the travel back and forth from here, from California to Toronto. But, uh, yeah, the podcast, we're, we're kind of on hold with the podcast, just kind of seeing where, where we're going, what way. It's, it's just such a weird time right now. I'm sure you guys feel the same way, and, and the world kind of was put out of hold. So I, I have a hockey academy in California that I started this year. So we're, uh, we're wrapping up our, our season, getting ready for the next season, and school's almost done. So still a lot going on, but be excited uh, to see hockey back again for sure. Oh, and do want to mention you, you did uh, a little, little thing on Twitter about uh, the frontline workers as well, yeah? Yeah, so the frontline funds and, you know, everybody, everybody sees all these funds out there and, and you never know, like, where the money's really going. But, uh, the frontline fund, apparently all the, the money's going towards, like, resources for the, the nurses and the doctors and the people that are out there sacrificing their own health, right? To, to do the job of, you know, containing this thing. So the, the masks and the t-shirts are, uh, slightly overpriced uh, as a way to bring in some money for these, you know, to help support these people that are, you know, they have our back right now so um awesome. whether or not you you believe in you know COVID 19 and the severity of it or not the, the the fact of the matter is there's people out there in the hospital sacrificing their lives to try to protect everybody so you have to respect that and you have to give them as much support as you can indeed kevin you're a good man thanks for your time and we'll uh, catch up with you down the line yeah cheers guys have a good one all right thanks to kevin bxa I suppose you probably should track down his podcast, even though it is a, a sworn enemy of this podcast. But that's okay. We're all for competition. Um, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. A weekly oh, we look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, uh, that segment each week where we take a look at the uh, foibles and hyperbole and mistakes made in the uh, hockey media. And uh, this guy's not exactly a hockey writer, but boy, does he dabble in it sometimes. 
Uh, Kahal Kelly is a columnist for the Globe and Mail in, in Canada, uh, and someone a lot of our Canadian listeners are most likely familiar with for being uh, an unending uh, factory for horrible takes. Um, this week, he wrote about the Brennan Leipzig situation, and uh, and it is not good. <laughs> it is it is pretty bad. It, it combines uh, two of my favorite things about bad hockey writing, which is uh, a complete lack of context. And a complete, uh, slavish appreciation for the, um, good old days, as they're called. First off, he writes, do people, even rich, uh, young, rich, dull-witted people actually talk to each other like this, speaking about Leipzig? Because this is not my experience, and I was once as young and dull-witted as the best of them. Boy, I don't even know who your friends are, but if you don't think that this is the way that people talk, I mean, Welcome to our planet. Uh, ten years ago, the <laughs> NHL would have given itself a week to gauge the PR wins before getting involved. Three years ago, it would have waited at least a couple of days. This is the part of, of the story that I had a problem with because the Sean Avery situation happened 12 years ago where he stood inside the Calgary Flames locker room and made the sloppy seconds joke about Elijah Cuthbert. And the NHL suspended him indefinitely that day. And then two days later... He's on trial in front of Gary Bettman and Colin Campbell. So, like, this mm-hmm. idea that the NHL uh, a decade ago wouldn't have been as proactive on this as they are now, I mean, they kind of are. <laughs> uh, maybe not to all of our liking. I mean, there's definitely been some times during the last 10 years where we're like, come on, you should suspend Ryan Getzloff for saying that stuff on the ice. Um, but as far as, like, giant PR disasters involving – uh, disparagement of women. I mean, there is a bit of a track record there as far as their, their action mm-hmm. on it. So we'll say that. The other thing though is the, is the stupid, nonsensical, good old boys stuff where he's writing about, uh, you know, the, 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 the wholesome image of the NHL and, um, and, and how it's a, it's a, it's a sport in which it's northern and rural and that's why we like it and all this other stuff. It's just, Ugh. it's just nonsense. And, uh, and, uh, if you haven't read it, you can read it, but, but Hall Kelly's harkening back to the good old days, make hockey great again, kind of, kind of pap. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's really, it's really the, the worst aspect of our sport, um, is the, uh, harkening back to the good old days, lack of acknowledgement of progress kind of talk and the idealization of, of the NHL as being that sport is just, it just, as an American, it makes me want to just reject it from my body like a bad organ when I read that kind of stuff. Yeah, ditto, as usual. Let's get into puck headlines. Dateline TNA. Now, we're not talking about TNA as in TNA, and we're not talking about TNA as in total nonstop action wrestling. We're talking about Team North America, the single greatest assemblage of talent outside of the Canadian Olympic team that we've ever seen in the last, like, 20 years. Uh, there is a TNA reunion being organized by the NHL this week on Zoom. That's a very exciting thing. I, I read that and my ears perked up because I love this team with every fiber of my being. Uh, except it's only six players. <laughs> and none of them are named McDavid, Matthews, or McKinnon. Jack Eichel's doing it. All power to Jack Eichel. But when I think of Team North America, I mean, all due respect, I'm not thinking of Jacob Truva and Vincent Trocek. I'm thinking of the three M's. Vincent Trocek, who in the one clip I saw, like, left the screen, like, just got up out of his <laughs> chair and, and walked away. I think he was getting headphones. But, yeah, this to me is the equivalent of having, like, a Destiny's Child reunion on VH1, <laughs> as VH1 still exists. 
and being like, yeah, Beyonce couldn't come, but we've got everybody else. Don't worry. <laughs> Precisely. Dateline Minnesota Wild. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov. If you don't know the, sure. If you don't know the name, sure. I, I mean, I'm Ukrainian, so like, allow me, allow oh, me. Okay. Um, so if you don't know the name, super prospect for the Minnesota Wild. Somebody who's going to come over and just rock our world when he eventually, eventually makes the jump and he's going to make the jump very soon. In fact, the Wild were kind of hoping that he could make the jump for this summer. If in fact the playoffs are expanded and the Wild were going to be part of it. Please do recall last year, Kale McCarr, all of a sudden showed up for the Colorado Avalanche and, and became an incredible part of their playoff uh, uh, puzzle. Well, they wanted to do the same thing this year with their top prospect, but according to Mike Russo, the NHL informed the Wild that there is zero chance that Kaprizov will be permitted to make his NHL debut this summer uh, if the season resumes because uh, of the restrictions on signing European players for this season. Um, due to the quarantine, yada, yada, yada. I, I don't agree with this at all. I don't quite know why they decided to do this. It doesn't seem like it's A, uh, logical or B, good for business. No, but I have to say it is good for business for the Minnesota Wild because let's face it. Okay, nobody knows who could possibly win in a truncated playoffs, but like no one's really picking them to win the Stanley Cup final. So if he begins his extra contract next year, they get him for an extra year under control. And when I went to Russia, I just have to say, Everyone uniformly is gushing about this guy. Like, he is the next huge superstar to come from Russia. Like, Panarin-level talent. Um, he's going to be a big deal. So, I think this is a win for the Minnesota Wild, in my opinion. Low-key when I went to Russia. Low-key when I went to Russia. <laughs> Which I believe is When I episode- talked to Kirill Kaprizov, and he was a very... Um, Joe, he's, he seems like he has a great personality. He knows a lot more English than he lets on. I'm going to say that to Minnesota reporters right away. Push him <laughs> to speak English. I'm like Panarin. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a fun guy. Low key when I went to Russia, by the way, I believe it's episode nine of Insecure this season. So look mm. forward to that. Um, Dateline <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> Dateline Los Angeles. Can we talk about Insecure later? Of course. Fine. Dateline Insecure. <laughs> yeah, Los Angeles. That's where the whole, it's a love letter to Los Angeles Insecure. Um, Molly got did wrong this week. I feel like the writers, the writers took her character and used her to put Issa over. And, yes. uh, and I don't appreciate that. I, I, she, it's like she lost her agency all of a sudden in the middle of the season. I, I totally agree. And I think this entire season has been a disservice to Molly because Issa has shown so much character growth. And that's one of the reasons I really love the show because it really does feel real in that sense and you feel invested in it. And somehow this season, all the character growth that Molly experienced, they were just like, no, let's just regress it because it'll make it easier for Issa. Mm-hmm. And Issa is, of course, writer and director and producer of the show. So, <laughs> about her. so she, she's putting herself over is what you're trying to say. Yeah, she's- Issa Rae is putting Issa D over. There it is. I did appreciate the fact that the um, that the block party went off with some hitches, but not like a disastrous hitch. I was really, when yeah, they started saying, about. hey, it's going to rain, I really thought it was going to be like, it's going to rain right in the middle of like yep. the Staples performance or the some Staples. such, and it just becomes a giant mess. <laughs> By the way, my, that was a my, great wife, cameo. my wife pointed out that uh, Vince Staples was the perfect person to get for that, that, that role because like he'll do anything. He's kind of like on that yes. John Legend, that John Legend level of like, oh, there's a show and there's a camera. Well, I'll show up and sing. Right. Anyway, date, which date is line. perfect because there's a random block party. Of course, I'll show up, and no one else wants to. <laughs> Dateline, real Los Angeles. Uh, the Kings. 
<laughs> the Kings and draft guru Mike Fiuta parted ways. Uh, the mayor, John Hoven, great blogger, uh, wrote that there wasn't much to the story that Fiuta didn't really have a solid spot in the new Kings uh, management lineup that Mark Yanetti uh, has been running the LA Kings draft since 2015, doing a heck of a job at, at that, by the way. Fiuta's uh, got a real strong reputation of being a great player personnel guy, uh, a draft guru in many ways. So it may just be a situation where Roles change, things change. Rob Blake took over that team a few years ago, and uh, and now a, a guy who has, in the past, uh, garnered a lot of interest from people about being a potential general manager someplace, uh, is uh, is free and clear of the LA Kings. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's a guy that you know, like you know, he's the guy that gets mentioned, like Paul Fenton was for many years, <laughs> again and again. As here's the next GM, here's the next GM. He should be considered for this role. And I know he has interviewed a bunch. Um, but maybe it will be easier, like you said, that he's, you know, out of contract and, you know, he'll land somewhere. Yeah. He's, a, he's a really good hockey guy. Yeah. Land somewhere, somewhere for a year, not know how, how to interact with people, do an actually okay job behind the scenes and lose your job to Bill Guerin. I mean, it's kind of how the, the thing plays out, right, for those guys. Uh, Dateline Coyotes. Coyotes president Aaron Cohen is no longer with the organization. Multiple sources confirmed to The Athletic this week. Cohen has been with the Coyotes for nearly five years, did a lot of legwork in the community, opening up uh, the hockey to different demographics and doing a good job there. Um, but again, as we mentioned with the L.A. Kings situation, conditions change, ownership changes. Alex Morello, the uh, owner of the uh, Arizona Coyotes, uh, inherited Cohen as a CEO and president and one assumes then, uh, you know, you hire your own people at some point. So this could just be business as usual when it comes to regime change. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something else going on there that we don't know about. Yeah, Aaron did tweet like a thank you to Arizona Coyotes thing last night. So it does seem to be official. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys that behind the scenes is a huge part of that franchise, what they did, the community. Another thing I'll say about his tenure as a president is they did a ton for women's and girls hockey, um, mm-hmm. whether it was creating that PHWA event, um, you know, hiring Lindsay Fry uh, to oh, work yeah. as their, um, you know, head of development for girls hockey. So that's another aspect where he did a great job, and I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. Um, but, you know, a new owner came in a year ago. You kind of expect changes eventually. Indeed. Uh, finally, Dateline, uh, Colorado Avalanche. Interesting yeah. news this week. <laughs> That the Colorado Avalanche may, in fact, wear Quebec Nordiques jerseys during certain games next season to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the franchise abandoning the province. Emily, what sweaters would you like to see make a comeback? Just that one, because it's the one that I wear on the podcast image, and it's the one that people (laughs) bring up the most to me. So, yeah, just that one. What about you? Uh, I've long said that the Rangers Liberty Head jersey needs to come Mm. back in a big way. I, I, even as a Devils fan... Um, respect the hell out of that jersey. When I when I close my eyes and think about that jersey, I think of Mike Richter, um, and uh, that makes me as happy as an American. And I've always felt that that jersey should come back in a big way because it was of of those sort of third jerseys, a real killer one that should be come back. Uh, all right, that's the show for this week. Thanks to Kevin Bieksa, thanks to Dave Andrews, and thanks to all of you for reading our stuff on ESPN. Um, Emily's got a big old thirty one team project coming out soon. Uh, do read Chris Peters' top 100 prospects for the NHL yeah. draft whenever it does happen. He does great work. And uh, thanks for checking out our stuff on Mondays, which is the big uh, quarantine news roundup, and our stuff on Tuesdays, which is the rewatch party when we go back and look at classic games and other NHL content. This week it was a Calgary Flames-Montreal Canadiens Stanley Cup final game in 1989. 
uh, a real fun trip down memory lane to look at Lanny McDonald's mustache for a good hour. It was, and a real good trip down memory lane because it was the last time two Canadian teams faced off in the finals. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We do appreciate you. Rate us, review us. If you've made it this long, I hope you have. And got to say bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. 